0: Good morning. We uh, looks like we still have some families vacationing. I had enough sense to come back from my vacation, but we uh, we have some families vacationing and also we have some families um, cel- uh recovering, you might say, from the wedding ceremony, the celebration. A lot of people put a lot of time and effort into that. It's a beautiful holy matrimony celebration last night. Uh, between Alan Eiler and Katie Warren. And if you were there, you know what I'm talking about. God is good. We were singing this opening song, Amazing Grace, and we closed with these words. Well, um, well the earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. And we sang that three times. It's It's kind of funny what comes to your mind sometimes but as I was contemplating those words forever mine God's promise the thing that came that, that flashed across my mind was back in grade school little heart with the letter for and then the words ever to the little sweetheart crushes that we had in um, high school and if, if you were a part of that, you would realize that, you know, we have these little crushes and we kind of would say to each other, you're mine forever. Of course, this could be first or second or third grade. And, you know, after that forever girl, I moved on to the next forever girl, you know, whoever was the crush at the time. And so, you know, the, the way we use that word forever can be pretty fleeting. It could just depend on our desires. But then I, I thought to myself, God's forever. He's probably the only person that can use that word and really mean it and really stick to it. But when God, when God grasps us and invests in us, it is an eternal investment. And what, how can we not just rest in the assurance of our salvation and the presence of God. What a delightful thought that is for this morning. Well, we will be in Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is going to be all over the place in Proverbs this morning. But before we turn there, I do want to just offer a special thanks to uh, Brother Jeff for filling pulpit duty, which afforded us an opportunity to get away for vacation. And I was thinking this morning how blessed Uh, We are as a congregation to have men that not only know how to study God's word, but are willing to use the gifts of God to teach and to preach and to bring it before us for the edification of the saints. So thanks. I hadn't had an opportunity to listen to the message, but I've heard great reports on that, Jeff. We really appreciate that. Well, last month in our study of Proverbs, we looked at the topic of the sovereignty of God and found that man proposes... But God disposes and this morning we're going to examine verses that talk about biblical uh, business principles or what we might call life in the marketplace, just everyday dealings. How do we work? What do we do with our money and what kind of responsibilities do we have when it comes to treating people in the marketplace? And this it's it's almost amazes me how practical God is. I mean, it shouldn't surprise us because he created all of this and with specific things in mind of how it will work. Well, we get to hear some of the practical truths from God in specific ways that it'll work. And I just pray that God's word will speak to us. And we definitely are in a time where we need to hear truth. Our culture is decaying. Uh, We are no longer a people of the book like we used to be or a culture of the book. And we're believing other truths. Uh, Sadly, don't don't neglect to realize that our world needs God's truth even practical truths like these I just recently was reading an article of an interview in World World Magazine of a I think a professor of philosophy at University of Texas in Austin and um, he was being asked what are the college students like these days uh, better worse and so forth and it was a very interesting interview but He said a few things that just really caught my attention. And one of the things he said was this guy stood up in class one time and he was talking about marriage. And he said, I want to be fully committed, faithfully committed and marry a woman and call it forever relationship. And the professor, who's a very strong Christian, was surprised to hear somebody say that in class. But then he but then he followed up with the words, but it's impossible. And what he meant is that he looks at his culture and he sees so many marriages failing. He just thinks the thing that he wants the most in his life, he can't have. And his parents were divorced. And, and the two people that he loved the most, that he respected the most, they, his reasoning was they couldn't make it work. So how can I think that I can make it work? So So God's truth comes to bear. It is possible. A lifelong marital relationship is possible for those that are willing to Love God and and obey his holy commands. And then another thing that was said in that class in that interview was um, this guy comes into the professor's office just mad and angry. And and he said, basically, I've been lied to by adults that I trusted. And he had agreed with his girlfriend to, to abort their baby. Uh, And he thought it was okay, and he just assumed that everything that he read in the media and that the laws and people were telling him that it's okay, it's legal, and it's just fine, and there's no repercussions. But he was not a believer, and he was just covered and burdened with all this guilt. And he just said, "I, I trusted the adults that what we did was right and true. And it was just a reminder to me that the simple truths of the gospel about the value of human dignity. About the relationships that can work. Things can happen and can work and are possible if we're willing to love God and submit ourselves to his holy word. And so we will look at a lot of scriptures this morning on business principles, money, work ethic, integrity. I tried to cram them all in here. There's so many in Proverbs that I'm just barely going to scratch the surface. I had to unwillingly throw some scriptures out because they're just so they're just so powerful and speak to our mindset today. But what do we find in today's marketplace or today's business world? Is it still good? Is it still bad? Is it biblical? Is it not? Just my opinion, which isn't worth a whole lot. But my opinion is that I think in general, the business world in our culture is still pretty solid. There are still a lot of solid companies out there that are trustworthy Uh, that do what they say they're going to do, and they're good good people to work for, whether they're Christian or not. I think that we still have pretty solid business principles. However, just as our culture is decaying morally, also our business world and our business principles are decaying morally as well. And so we're reading all kinds of things in the headlines of the news that we're not used to seeing. Uh, For instance, the Enron scandal where people covered up uh, investment failures and just really pushed the limits, the legal limits of what they're allowed to do with the money. And thousands of people lost their livelihoods so that others could keep a certain standard of living that they want. It was just a dishonest practice and it kind of shocked us because these were supposed to be uh, high society, very respectable people that wouldn't stoop and do such a thing. And more recently, we were we read in the headlines that Madoff made off with all the money with his little Ponzi type investing scheme, which was landed him in jail. And one of his sons, as a result of the bad publicity, committed suicide. Uh, more recently, I read a very disheartening article about a doctor in Michigan. Perhaps you read about him. And he treats people with cancer. And apparently he wasn't making enough money or the money that he wanted to do. So the people that really had no hope that didn't need any more treatments, he would continue to give them prescribed treatments so he could make more money. And then apparently that wasn't enough. And so healthy people that came to him wondering if they Some of their symptoms did not point to cancer. Uh, He would examine them and they would indeed be cancer free. But in order to get money, he would tell them that they had cancer and he would begin to give them chemotherapy, chemotherapy treatments. I mean, so now you have healthy people being treated and now they're getting sick from the chemotherapy. It's just it's dishonesty and it's amazing what what greed and sin Can do to us. His victims lost their health and their many of them lost their savings and they all lost a lot of trust. Uh, Needless to say, he will do some serious jail time. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about these issues of work and and how to make sound financial transactions. And because they are of a moral nature The way that we do business, and here's what we need to understand this morning as believers, the way that we do business, the way that we work is either a good reflection or a bad reflection on the God that we worship, the God that we say lives in us and is working in our hearts. So all these scriptures I have tried to condense into four categories, and the first is working hard versus being lazy. You mean the Bible talks about being lazy? Yep. It even goes after that sin. One of the things that we hear in our everyday conversations, especially if you are an employer. If you're talking to somebody about business, sooner or later it's going to come up and you're going to hear somebody say, I can't find good help. You just can't find good help these days. I got plenty of work. Nobody wants to do it. They don't show up. Nobody just can't find good help. Well, the Bible has the answer to that. Technically speaking, Christians should be the answer to that problem that the world has. Christians should be the ones that are the good help because they live according to a higher, higher standard. Should be honest and hardworking employees. So the Bible wants to change that problem by working in our hearts. Here's a um, a few sayings that delay that I read. Little quotes from the lazy today just for fun before I read the scripture. Someone says, uh, first rule of a lazy person is, if you can't reach it easily, you don't need it. And the second rule is, just do it, but not today. Another quote is, who says nothing is impossible? I've been doing it for several years now. Another one, give a lazy person a fish and he will eat it teach him how to fish and he'll sit in a boat and sleep all day. And then lastly, maybe laziness is the mother of all bad habits, but she is a mother and I have to respect her. <laughs> Proverbs 12:24 says, "The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor." There are there are consequences to laziness. So what is slothfulness or laziness? According to scripture, it is the failure to exert energy when the time calls for it. It's a failure to work or to move uh, when the time calls, the season is, or it's our responsibility to exert energy. So it's avoiding activity when it calls for it. So we all need rest. It's not that it's wrong to rest. The scripture talks and teaches us that there is a time for rest and we rest up so that we can work and we want to take care of ourselves. But that's not what laziness is. Laziness is when we're resting and we're, we're avoiding activity when it is our time to be actually doing something. So that's the qualifier for laziness. The vacation previous to this when we went to Baltimore Harbor and we visited the aquarium and one of their displays was like a tropical rainforest thing and you went higher and higher and you saw all kinds of critters and it was really neat things that we don't get to see here in our climate but at the very top they had this display that everybody wanted to see of the sloths and uh, they're like a monkey like animal and I found it interesting because everybody would go up there and I was doing the same thing you're looking at these trees and they had real vegetation you're looking for the sloths but you can't find the sloths the reason you can't find the sloths is because they are notorious for the fact that they don't move. They are so lazy that they stay so still that you can't even see them. And they, they, the only, about the only time you can catch them moving is when they come to eat. And they move in slow motion, so slow that you really have to be looking carefully to even find them. And it was pretty funny because up there in that top level was a paid guide to do what? To keep an eye on the sloths so that the people who paid money to see them could actually find them in the trees. And so they were paid to watch them. And it was a hard job because they were so, so still. And algae grows on them because they're (laughs) so still. They just, by nature, maybe it's God's object lesson, but by nature they move slow or they... Preferably don't move at all. So that's the idea of laziness. Laziness also is not to be confused with uh, innovation because there are a lot of inventions that we benefit from today. And the reason we have them is because somebody got tired of working, doing the job in this way, and they thought of a better way to do it that will save them time. And yes, energy, there's nothing wrong with saying energy. I I much prefer sitting on a diesel John Deere tractor, turning a power steering steering wheel as opposed to behind a team of mules or horses. I mean, it's just smarter and it's a lot less effort, but that's okay. So we're not talking about that either. We're talking about avoiding responsibility and avoiding work that we are supposed to be engaged in. I recently saw a picture. It's amazing what you'll see this day and age. A picture of a a grown man pushing a push mower, cutting his grass. But he wasn't standing. He was sitting in one of those Walmart-type scooters. So he had one hand on the lawnmower and one on the scooter. And this guy was a healthy person. There was no handicap issues going on here. It was just laziness and it was extra work because trying to turn it and all this... It was just a picture of extreme laziness. Well, kind of like Garfield, the cat, our culture and even the quotes that I read, our culture likes to try to make laziness funny and cute. And I guess it can be humorous. We can look at it and make fun of it. But really, the Bible speaks of it not in a humorous light, um, but speaks of it in an irresponsible light and even a destructive light. And laziness is a vice. It's a sin. It's a sin of being irresponsible. It's a sin of not achieving what God has called us to achieve. In the very beginning of the scriptures, you have what we call the cultural mandate. God creates man and woman. He places them in this beautiful place. And what does he say? Go out and take dominion. Those are proactive words, so all humanity is to be moving and in action where we have goals and missions that we're to accomplish. There's no passivity mentioned in the Bible. It's all about gaining and striving after God's glory. We live in a world where things need to be done and there's time to do them. So here's a few scriptures that exemplify timing and planning. One's in 10.5 and one's in twenty four. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. The slugger does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. The first guy has a harvest. It was planted by somebody, I guess, but he sleeps through it when it's time to actually harvest it. The second guy doesn't even have a harvest because he didn't even bother to plant one. This year, but both the results of this are are uh, crucial. They're negative in that they don't have what they need because they didn't plan. And the, the teaching behind this is that in life, there are specific seasons, there are specific opportunities that God gives us time to prepare for what we know we're going to need later. And we have to be diligent enough to, to foresee those things and exert the energy necessary to make sure that we have what we need in the future. That's how life works. And if we don't, we will suffer the consequences. An example of kind of extreme laziness, like the guy on the, the scooter trying to push Moa's grass, uh, there are a few examples in Proverbs that I would consider extreme, like 1924. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth, and twenty six fifteen says it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. So this is a picture of a person that's so lazy they it's just too much effort to bring the spoon up or the fork or to bring my hand to I've never seen this in real life. I cannot relate to this. I always have enough energy to eat no matter how tired I am. Uh, I have literally seen people fall asleep while they're eating out of fatigue or sleeping disorders or whatever. In you know, our kids sometimes would do that. You're trying to feed them and their heads all bobbing. Uh, I have seen a head come this close to being in a bowl of soup before. <laughs> but I've never seen this kind of extreme laziness. I hope you've never seen it either. But the Bible reminds us that in order to be really good at being lazy i mean you got to work at it and if you're going to be good at it you have to have an arsenal of excuses right to to get out of work so here's a few um, some excuses we might have in our day and age you know there's something that needs to be done we might say you know i'd love to help but have a cold or the doctors told me i can't lift more than 20 pounds or i've you know a great excuse is when you you want, you're asked to do something and you really don't want to do it that's the time that you want to do all the things that you've been procrastinating to do i'd love to help you but i got to do my homework or uh, i got to clean my room i heard that from my kids hey i need some help uh, i got today's the day i'm cleaning my room yeah okay um, or here's a good one uh, I've I'm, I'm got, got to have my devotion. And I really need a long devotion today. Yeah. So there, there are excuses that you hear um, that pop into our minds in order for us to be lazy. All of a sudden we want to do these things. So here's, it's going to sound silly to us, but here's the excuse of the sluggard in Solomon's day, 2213. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. What is going on there? Well, they did have lions, we know David slew a lion and Samson ripped one apart with supernatural strength. So it was a danger, but it's kinda of like us you know, me calling Corky or Dwight this morning and say I, I I'm not gonna make it this morning. Well why is that? There's too many accents out on the road. I mean I you know the statistics are five hundred accents a day within hundred miles and I, I don't want to be one of those accents, I I'm not getting out on the road. It's too dangerous. Or I I can't cut the grass because I might get stung by a bee. It's too dangerous. it's, It's just this ridiculous answer, but we give them. Maybe not the lying answer, but we give these answers. If we are prone to this heart attitude of laziness, we're going to come up with a reason. To get the idol that we want to avoid doing the things that we don't want to do. So, you know, what are, what are some excuses we have in our arsenal of avoiding responsibilities? Things that we know we need to be doing. There's no question. So we want to let the Holy Spirit kind of go into that room. As John Rosima taught us this morning in Sunday school. Giving God every room in the home of our heart. Permission to go there. Even into our arsenal of excuses. And I had plenty of them growing up. You know, my excuse, I thought about this this morning when my parents asked me to do something. You know what my answer was? I didn't actually have good excuses. I just said, I don't feel like it. Good grief. What, what do you do with that? I don't feel like it. Well, it didn't get me anywhere. Because it doesn't matter. We don't, that's a time not to go by your feelings when it's time to do something right. The spanky strap. Took care of those feelings real <laughs> quick. So laziness is an attitude of the heart and it's an idol of inactivity. Now here's another a few other tricks that the Bible points out. that People use to avoid doing what they know that they should do. And it's dreaming about the easy life. Twelve eleven. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread but he who follows the worthless, follows worthless pursuits, lacks sense. And then 2819 says he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So these are the people that want to get out of work so badly that they're willing to do a little bit of work with the hope that they won't have to work for the rest of their lives. And because of that lazy streak, it makes them vulnerable to these Schemes to get rich schemes, you know, work from your home and make five thousand dollars a day. I do it. The emails say. Uh, And of course, you got to sign up for this and you got to follow this clue. And really, you're making somebody else rich by giving deposits or money um, in the promise that you'll be rich and that you can sit around, do nothing someday. Our hearts are vulnerable to these kind of things if we just so badly want to avoid taking responsibility over our own lives. So it's the chasing after the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow kind of thing. It might include playing the lottery, gambling. Then there is the big talker in 1423. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to, To poverty. And this is the person that's all talk and no action. I'm sure you've run into these kind of people before. They have grand plans, business plans. They sound very, very impressive. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this franchise. I got it. I got it all worked out. And and you're just captivated with with the energy behind it. Nothing but not a finger is never lifted to launch it off the ground. It stays in the realm of the dream world or the talk world. Talk doesn't put food on the table, it doesn't put gas in our tanks. And notice that there's a theme here that laziness, one of the consequences is poverty. It's a natural co- consequence. And in that day, because it was more agricultural in our day and they didn't have all of the governmental safety nets that can serve a good purpose, but also be taken advantage of, uh, If you didn't work, you didn't eat. I mean, in that kind of culture, you really had to do things to prepare for yourself for the seasons to come. And so it was it was I guess it was more visceral. You might say in that day, it was real to them in a world that's on the move. A slugger can even be quite a nuisance, nuisance and cause misery like in 10 verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth. And smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. I've never tried to drink vinegar. Maybe some of you have. Uh, but the idea, of course, I guess it's kind of like drinking lemon juice. Concentrate. It's, you just want to get it out of your mouth as quickly as possible. It's not supposed to be in there. Maybe it's burning. I recently got a little vinegar in one of my cuts. And, yeah, it burned like crazy. And then we've all had smoke in our eyes. And it's an irritant. You just want to rub them. You can't stop rubbing them. So this sluggard brings tremendous irritation to society and the people around them. Why? Because you give them this simple, straightforward, easy task, very manageable, and they still don't do it. They still don't accomplish it. And it just messes, it hinders the, the fabric of society up. So it's an annoyance. Scripture says. And sometimes it can annoy us in small ways and inconvenience us, but sometimes laziness can even be harmful in big ways, such as found in eight nine, eighteen nine. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Now what's what are they talking about? Shoddy work, cutting corners. So those that are slack, those that don't do the job the way it needs to be done can bring tremendous harm to people in real life. A simple thing is cutting a corner. I mean, Have you ever seen things fly off of the top of people's trucks like ladders or things right on the interstate and cause tremendous harm to people? I was always paranoid as a contractor because I'd seen that happen. I've seen people's... Um, Materials or their ladders just fly off their trucks because they were not properly secured. And that little shortcut, just this year I read an article where six college students were out on a balcony and they fell to their deaths, all six of them, because the balcony did not hold them up. Apparently somebody cut some corners. So, you know, throughout the day, if we have this tendency, I don't feel like doing this, I don't want to put that extra... The, I don't want to bolt this through. I'm just going to put a few nails in it or whatever. I'm not going to tie it properly. Um, I'm not going to fix this piece of machinery the way it needs to be fixed. I'm just going to rig it. All of these things can can and do cause tremendous harm. And, of course, our courts are filled with lawsuits, unfortunately, today because of this very verse. Another thing Proverbs tells us or, or talks a lot about is sleep. I was enthralled by how much God wants us to know about sleep. Now, I didn't see any verses other than the verses about rest, that that God's real concerned to make sure that we get enough sleep, although we know that's healthy. But he is very concerned that we don't sleep too much. Do you have a tendency to sleep too much? God is concerned about our Sleeping habits. Here's my absolute favorite verse about sleeping: 26:14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. That just cracks me up. Because you have this hinge, and the hinges, it's, it's there. It's not going anywhere. But all it can do is flop from one side to the next. When I was a teenager. I loved my sleep and I was at hinge and I remember just loving my bed and not wanting to get out of it. It'd be late later and later in the morning. I'd lift my head and it'd be daylight and I'd look at the clock and I'd start to get up and say, "Uh uh-uh. And I'd flip over to this side and do the same few minutes later and just flipping back and forth like I was strapped to the bed. Verse uh, chapter nineteen, verse fifteen: Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. The deep sleep is that mode where you have been so lazy that you just don't want to do anything. Maybe throughout the day, you know, I'll probably get up at 11. Then nah, I'm going to sleep till one. Now I'm just going to lay around here, watch TV till three. Next thing you know, the whole day shot. And the interesting thing is, even though you have done nothing to exert energy, what do you feel? You feel tired. You feel exhausted. Oh, I'm too exhausted to even do anything. That's the deep sleep. It's the sleep that laziness begets laziness. And sometimes we can be so lazy that it. Does what? It has a reversed effect of activity and energy and makes us even more lethargic. Scripture recognizes that. I've told this before, but there was a Christian comedian that named his bed the Word. So that if somebody called him, say, 9, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning when he should be up and doing things, hey, what you doing, bro? Yeah, I'm in the Word. I am in the Word. Deep in the word today, I'm going to be in the word most of the day today, you know, so it's a good, a good funny code name, but it's funny in, in, uh, in the world of comedy, but in real life, where would that comedian be? He wouldn't have a job. If you can not get out of bed, he can joke about it, but he wouldn't have a job. 2013 says, love, not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of. Bread. Apostle Paul said in the New Testament, "If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat." Don't you like that? The simplicity of it, and how practical is it? We we need to feel the repercussions of our lack of responsibility. We all play a part. We all have a, a part to play in the activity that is to take place in taking dominion in this world. Using our minds, using our muscles, our bodies, our, our grit, whatever it takes to do what we are. Responsible to do. And we should feel the sting of that if we do not do it. Proverbs says that work is a matter of priority. Uh, disciplined person, people, you know, if you know, a disciplined person or most successful people are very disciplined and orderly. And one of the reasons they are able to achieve what they achieve is because they prioritize their day. They do the very important things, even if they don't feel like doing them. They do what needs to be done first. And the saying goes, do what you have to do so you can do what you want to do. Proverbs twenty four twenty seven. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. So it teaches us not just to work at random. Or do the things that you want to do, because then the things that you don't want to do or the most important things are often left undone. So as believers, we are responsible to look at our schedules and to look at our day. What is the priority of your life? What is the priority of your day? Is that first on your list? I know for me the the most important things, I'm the kind of person that if I don't do them in the morning, most of the time they do not. They are not accomplished because I. Have so much going, I just go from one thing to the next, and even though I might have good intentions to come back to it, it's not going to happen. I I know myself; I'm not that type. Maybe you guys can. So the most important things for me are accomplished first in the morning. If you want to know what work looks like, the Bible tells us. Proverb tells us in six six to eight, go to the ant. Go to the ant, sluggard; consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. One thing I have never seen in all my life is a lazy ant. Have you ever seen a lazy ant? I've seen a dead ant. I've seen ants I've tried to kill and they're still going. You, you can't hardly kill an ant. But we can learn from them because they're constantly working, they're working in sync, they work together to accomplish what needs to be done, and of course they're getting the food that they need. They work efficiently, they work wisely, they plan ahead, they work in community. That is how the world is blessed, when we work wisely, when we work in community, we work together, we plan ahead. It's just a blessing to the world, because then everyone has what they need Chapter 10, verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And so what we find here when it comes to laziness is that it's a sense in which lazy people are drain the resources of society because they're not giving, they're only taking. And they're taking advantage, advantage of other people that are responsible to work and to hold their own and also carry others along and work. We find is really about giving the reason that we have the abilities and the intelligence that we do is that so we can give to the world so that we can be a blessing to the entire world. So that is about giving, not about taking. That's the emphasis. And we serve a God that is a giving God. Where the son of man came not to be served, but to deserve, but to serve and give his life as a ransom to many. So that should be our mindset. So the, wor- the world works on the giving principle. As quickly, a few other things. Another category is generosity and greed. How do they work together? Our tendency is to think that maybe if I keep these things for myself, it will get me ahead in life. And yet scripture will find in these verses actually teaches us that. Worked in the fabric of reality and existence is this principle. Of course, it's a divine principle and it's there because God put it there. That if we are generous, we actually it actually benefits us in the long run. It's it's more um, it's more of a blessing. It's more beneficial to be generous and not to hold on to our things than it is to spend that effort trying to keep what we have. Chapter 11, 24 through 26. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Twenty-two nine. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. So it's very important, according to the Bible, that. Those of us that ascribe to this word to know that the one who gives gets even more. But our motive is also important. We don't want to turn this and misinterpret it because we don't give with the motive to get rich. The, the key and Jesus teaches this in the New Testament. The motive is that we want to use what we have to be a blessing to others. That's our only motive. So I'm going to be generous for that reason. Not the seed kind of stuff where you give me one, God will give you five. You give me a dollar, God will give you five. He's going to multiply it and bless it. That's not what we're looking for. We're doing it simply because we care about people. God's been so good and generous to us that we want to share whatever comes our way as well. The principle doesn't work if it has a mode of greed behind it. Because it doesn't reflect the very character Of God, God blesses the one who attaches more importance on meeting human needs than maximizing his own profits. We have things for a purpose. We are to use those for God's glory. Scripture is not kind to the stingy person. Here's what Proverbs 23, six through eight says. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. What he's talking about. What's he talking about? This guy is pretending to be very hospitable, but he is calculating your every move. If you say, can I use the restroom? Uh, There's toilet paper and water bill I got to pay now. And he watches what you eat. There's a few cents for the vegetables and the, the beef. There's a seven dollar piece of steak he just ate. And so it's just defeats the whole purpose because you realize they're not they don't they're not they don't care about me. They're just ching, counting change in their head. And they're wanting to get rid of me as soon as possible, so it just leaves a nasty taste. It's nauseating, it says. And then the third category is payoff and honesty. The payoff of honesty and dishonesty. Twenty seventeen. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. He's talking about what we might consider the con man. Those that take advantage of others, they see a way that they can make money and it's real money. But in order to do it, they got to cheat somebody. They got to be dishonest. And what they're saying is in the long run, we've heard this. It doesn't pay off. It eventually catches up to you. The gravel, of course, is that repulsive image of. Something unpleasant. Chapter 13, verse 11, the NIV says dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. The idea is that when we work hard for it and we gain it little by little, we, we understand it and we manage it better. If you ever you, you hear story after story of people that become rich very quickly and what happens? They squander it. They lose it. Why? Because they don't know how to manage it. Having more money doesn't necessarily mean anything. You have to know how to manage it and use it properly. A lot of people wind up in poverty after having millions of dollars. Famous athletes and stars and so forth. Those that win the lottery. Lottery. If you're not characterized by proper management, the money's not going to do you any good. I want to read this important verse 1613. Righteous lips are a delight of the king and he loves him who speaks what is right. The people in leadership, they're always looking for or people in important places are always looking for people of integrity. They place a high value on integrity because the way the world is designed, we have to be able to trust each other to accomplish things. And there are societies where you you, you're always questioning somebody's motive. Are they really here to help? What are they after? They just want my money. What What are they looking for? And so truth is a very valuable commodity, even in our culture, that is morally decaying. If you are a person that is just honest, how many times do you find yourself saying in the marketplace, I just wish somebody would do what they say they're going to do? See, the things that the world longs for, the Bible provides and if we submit ourselves to God's word, we can be provided. We can be the light and the salt of the earth, providing what the world craves and longs for: honesty, truth, hard work, being willing to bless others, and not only looking out for our own interests. And then, lastly, observe, just just a quick observation of the rich and poor as we close, because it's important in Proverbs thirteen twenty three. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. And there's a lot of scriptures, and for sake of time, I won't read them. But justice is very important to God. Those that are needy, those that are putting forth effort, but they can't, they can't make ends meet. And the rich that take advantage of their power and use their money to force people to do things. In this case, Uh, This guy, this poor guy has a field, but the rich people are are uh, monopolizing the market. They're not allowing him to sell his grain when he needs it to make money. And this happens in everyday our everyday world. And it is the believer's responsibility to uphold justice and to look out for the poor and to give a people a voice to make sure everybody's properly represented. I think about our justice system that is based on a Christian ethic. And we have. Um, We have, thanks to our tax dollars, you will be appointed an attorney so that you are represented rightly. Why? Why spend so much money to do that? To make sure justice is done. Justice is an important thing for a society, and it is an important thing. So if we see a need, and it is within our power to do so, then we can... Bring God glory by meeting that need, by fighting for that kind of justice. And we live in a world where it is filled with injustice. Just read the headlines. There are a lot of people that need protection. The Christian life. In a practical sense, can be a light to the world, even outside the halls or the walls of a church. We're just listening we're listening to teaching where, in our everyday life, as a student, as an employee, as a boss, in all our transactions, we can literally be the light of the world and what the world craves for and needs if we're just honest. If we are the people that do what we say we're going to do. If we're the people that are trustworthy with our employees and really want to serve them. I appreciate. About the people in this church, many of you have your own businesses, and I've had lots of calls from people wanting to do it right, wondering how do I handle this employee? What do I do about insurances and and helping people that are sick? Your heart is in the right place, and God honors that, and you take it very serious, creating jobs, and you realize that other people need to put food on their table as well. And people in this congregation make personal sacrifices so that others can be taken care of. I think that's the way it's supposed to work. And I appreciate the integrity that is in this place this morning. So let us submit ourselves to God's holy word. And by his grace, we can make a difference. There are little things that we can all change in our lives based on what we've heard this morning. And just by conforming to the image of Christ in that way, we literally can make a difference for the glory of God. May God bless the preaching of His Word this morning.